we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to guide and have your spirit show us what you'd want us to see from this chapter. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lamentation chapter 4. We're going to be starting at verse 17. As for us, our eyes as yet failed for our vain help. In our watching, we have watched for a nation that could not save us. They hunt our steps that we cannot go in our streets. Our end is near. Our days are fulfilled, for our end is come. Our persecutors are swift, swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursue us on the mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of their nostrils, the anointed of the Lord, was taken in their pits of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the heathen. Not rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwells in the land of Uz. The cup also shall pass through you, through unto you. You shall be drunk and shall make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry you away into captivity he will visit your iniquities, O daughter of Edom. He will discover your sins. All right. So here we have the idea that they put a trust in other nations. And this is what Jerusalem did during this period of time when they were being attacked. They actually sent envoys and, and money to Egypt to try to come and rescue them. They also sent it to Assyria to try to rescue them. And neither, neither nation was able to help them. They took the money but wasn't able to help uh, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed them as they, as they came up. And it says, we watched in vain and, and we found that the nation could not save us. And this is something that's very important for us. Who do we trust? Do we trust in the Lord or do we trust in the worldly things? Lord, no. Too often it's the world. And for Jerusalem, they were trusting Nebuchadnezzar's the up and coming power. And they were trying to trust in Egypt, which was a falling power, and Assyria, which was a falling power. And their hope was not in God, it was in these nations to come rescue them. And we need to always be careful that our hope is in God and not what the world says. Not our, not our jobs, not our possessions, not our 401ks, our retirement plans, all of this. Our, our, our trust must be in God. It says, they hunt our steps that we cannot go out into our streets. The end is near. Our days are fulfilled. Our end is come. So here he's looking at the end of Jerusalem. They're going into captivity. And he is in sorrow. You know, the, the very end is coming. Our persecutors are swifter than eagles of the heaven. They pursue us upon the mountains. They lay wait for us in the wilderness. And basically saying, everywhere they go, there's an enemy. Sometimes we might feel that way when things seem to be going wrong for us and we're not trusting in God and we look around and everywhere we look, trials and tribulations appear. And we need to be looking at this very fact that it's going to be very interesting in the near future as troubles come our way just for being a Christian. And it's coming. And we need to be ready for it because there's going to be trials and tribulations coming. It says in verse 20, the breath of his nostril, the anointed of the Lord, was taken in their pits. 
of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the heathens. Now this under his shadow is not talking about God, as you would think about. It is literally talking about Zedekiah. Uh, they said that they would live under Zedekiah's shadow. Zedekiah was supposed to be, King Zedekiah was going to be their deliverer. They almost thought he was going to be their Messiah. And he failed them as he was taken in, in pits and he was, he was taken into captivity and the people were not able to trust in the king that they were hoping to trust. And that was the king trying to get Egypt and Assyria to come help and, and they lost their hope. And this is the hard thing. God, if we do not put our trust in him, will take away what we trust in just to show us that he is our only way to trust. And they, they lost Zedekiah. And in verse 21 it says, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom that dwells in the land of Uz. The cup also shall pass through unto you, and you shall be drunken and make yourself naked. And, and here Edom, the nation to the east of Egypt, or of Israel, was rejoicing at their punishment. You know, they were fallen. They were happy that they were, were fallen. So Jeremiah saying, your turn is coming. God says, your turn is coming. You're, you're rejoicing. You will be captured as well. You will be reeling and drunkard. You shall be naked and taken into captivity. The, your punishment, the punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry you away into captivity. He will visit your iniquities, O daughter of Edom. He will discover your sins. So he says, Israel, we're done. We're going into captivity. Edom, you're next. And this is what ends up happening. Sometimes when the righteous fall or are captured or go into tribulation or trials, the world system gets excited and they get, you know, oh, look what happened. God will bring judgment upon them as well. You know, this is the thing about it. There are so many people that think that Satan just doesn't like good people. Satan doesn't like people. All people are created in the image of God, and Satan does not like people at all. So he will go after everybody. He's an equal opportunity destroyer when it comes to humans. He just wants to destroy their uh, testimony. He's not really, because he, he, wants, he wants everybody. He wants, again, I've said this many times, his goal is to destroy mankind. So he's not out just to get rid of the good or good people because he is not building a kingdom in hell. He is a prisoner in hell. He is just trying to take as many of God's creation with him when he, go, when he goes. So he's not looking for a bunch of bad people. He's not, you know... Matter of fact, he's even happy if people think they're good as long as they don't turn to God. They can be as good as they want. Right. They can be as good as they want as long as they don't come to Jesus. Satan is happy. You just be good. You be nice. You be kind to everybody. You help out all these people, and I'll, I'll see you in hell because you're not accepting the only way to heaven. And so he's excited about that, and he comes after everybody. And God allows him to come after them after, after a period of time for just that reason. Because if their trust isn't in God, then their trust is vain. And this is why we're told to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean out into our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our paths. 
And how many times do we trust in our own understanding, our own ways, our own strength, and the world does it all the time, only to fall flat on our face? Because we're not trusting God, and God will pull the rug out from under us anytime we're not trusting in Him. And the good news is when we are trusting in Him, we get to see the answers to everything as they work out in the long run. Because we have to understand that God's view is not our view. He sees the beginning from the end, and he knows what's going to happen 20, 30, 40 years from now. He knows already what is going to happen, and he already has a plan for anything that happens to us. And we look at it and say, God, how can you let this be happening? I don't understand this at all. How can you do this? And God says, I have a plan, and it is a good plan. And we need to learn to just trust in his good plan. Chapter 5. Now, this is kind of an interesting chapter. He's going to wrap this up and see if we can finish this tonight. Remember, O Lord, what is come upon us, consider and behold our reproach. Our inheritance is turned to strangers and our house to aliens. We are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are as widows. We have drunk our water for money. We our wood is sold unto us. Our necks are under the per persecution. We labor and have no rest. We have given the, the hand to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Our fathers have sinned and are not, and we have borne their iniquities. Servants have ruled over us. There is none that does deliver us out of their hand. We got our bread with the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness, our skin was blackened like an oven because of the terrible famine. We'll stop there. So he says, first off, it really stuck, jumped out at me as I was looking at verse 1. Remember or recall into your memory, O Lord, what is come upon us and consider and behold our reproach. He's basically saying, remember, Lord, what is come or what is coming he goes it is happening right then and he's saying remember it God don't forget it how many times is that our prayer when we look at God and say God just look at what's going on in my life God can you please remember this and take care of it take care of what is considered and he says consider our reproach look at look at what is happening and this is what God did Babylon conquered him, and then God told Babylon through the prophets that because you were too cruel to my people, you're going to lose your kingdom. And this is what he told Nebuchadnezzar, and fell to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson to lose the kingdom. And he says, you were too cruel. You enjoyed too much the disciplining of my people. And God will oftentimes do this when his people are disciplined by the world, if the world goes too far, God says, okay, you've went too far, and he'll step in, protect, and punish them, even though they don't know that they're the tool God's using. And this is the funny thing. God will use anything to bring discipline to his people. And that is hard sometimes for us to think that God will use an enemy to bring discipline. The Jewish people were not following and trusting God and he used Rome to bring them in. He used Babylon to bring them in. He used Rome to, to discipline them. He used uh, Hitler's uh, annihilation of them to try to discipline them, to get them to come to him. Over and over, God tries to get the attention of his people. And he does that even for us as Christians. He says, 
I'm going to shake up your world, but pay attention and, and focus on me. And when we don't look at him, it is, we lose everything. And this is what verse 2 says. Our inheritance is turned to stranger, our houses to aliens. He goes, we're losing everything. The land that God gave us is going to the Babylonians. Our houses are going to strangers, people that don't own them. Because what did Nebuchadnezzar do to the people? He took and marched all of the Jews, except for the poorest of the poor, into other, other parts of the nation, other, other parts of the empire. And he marched people from other parts of the empire into Jerusalem and Israel to take their houses and their properties. So he just swapped people around, gave them new, new lands, and it's going, God, you're, you're, everything we own, what you gave us, has been taken away. This is a big deal. They lost their homes. And then in verse 3 it says, We are orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are as widows. You know, God, our families are broken up. You know, and this is really where we are in even our world. We don't have war destroying our families, but we have families that aren't families. And it's really sad that we have so many families that do not have a mother and father in them. They, we have guys that have, give, give birth to children and then disappear. And they're not dying, they're just leaving. They're leaving their families without the protection of a father, to being able to raise up. In the prison, it's really sad that most of those guys at the prison never knew their fathers. And it's statistically true almost across the board that these guys never know their fathers. And they're looking for something. And they end up doing it. And here, they lost them a lot because of the war. But you know, then they had people that were just abandoning their families because they were so hungry. They were de desperate. They ran. They, you know, of course, last we, we looked at before, and they were eating their children and everything else that was going on. Uh, and it says in verse 4, we have drunk our waters for money and our wood is sold unto us. And here again he's saying, the things we own are necessary things we're buying back. We're having to buy our water. Now we think it's funny because we buy water nowadays anyway, but, you know, but there was a time when they just went to the well and got their, got their water. Now the, water, the wells are owned by other people and they're having to pay to get their water. They're having to pay to get their firewood that they would just usually go out to the woods and be able. It's been, it's never yeah, been something new. It's always been new. new. Nothing new under the sun. That's Nothing new under the sun. In this case, it was because they owned the, yeah. owned the wells yeah. and they wouldn't let them have it. It wasn't bottled water. It was just, you want water? That's Fine. So Give us your money. Here, yeah. yeah. Uh, you want the wood? You're going to buy your wood. You can't, we own the woods. You can't go out into the... You know, we always seem to think that the, everything we're going through in this day and age is brand new. There's nothing new under the sun. It has already happened. And here we have the statement. They had to go buy wood. They had to go buy water. Their families have been destroyed. And there's pressure. Yeah. Because there's no woods to get it from. And even if you do live anywhere near the woods... Somebody owns the woods, usually the government, who's going to charge you to a permit fee to go get wood. This is what's going on in this statement here. All of that is what's going on, and people are going, you know, nothing new. 
This is the funny thing is the more we read the Bible, the more we see that what's going on today has already happened in the past. And it's nothing new. Governments always take more and more uh, authority and more and more power and more and more possessions. And they will keep doing that until somebody knocks them down and they become somebody else takes their place. And we're seeing the same thing in our country. More and more stuff is being taken by the government. And pretty soon we'll be in this place where we can't own anything. And it's not far off the way things are looking. And we just need to be ready to trust God for everything. Because that's the only hope that we have is that God will stay in charge and he will. Even when it looks like he's not in charge, he's in charge. And this is Jeremiah's lament. God, it doesn't look like you know what's going on. We're, we're here having to buy our stuff, our inheritance. You gave us this stuff and now we're having to spend our money to buy the stuff that we need just to live. God, where are you is basically what he's saying. And he, he understood. I mean, the people deserve it. He understands. But still, when things happen, it's hard to understand. I can see that our nation is due to be judged if we don't repent. Do I want to see it? No. On one side, I don't want to see it. Do I want to live through it? No, I don't want to live through it. But it is coming. And what's really been amazing this last year and a half, two years, is how fast the government has taken control of everything and taken away freedoms. And you know, things that we thought would never happen are starting to happen, and they're only going to get worse unless there's a repentance and turning to God. Everything's turning upside down because we have rejected God as a nation. And unless there's a revival, it'll continue down this kind of a path where it'll get worse and worse. Verse 5 says, Our necks are under persecution, and we labor and have no rest. He says, everything we're doing, we work. We work, and we work, and we work. We're under persecution, our necks. This is the idea that when somebody was conquered, the leaders would have their, would be forced to lay on the ground, and the, and the conqueror would put their foot on the neck. They wouldn't stand on it because they didn't want to break their neck, but they would show that they were in subjection to them, They're putting their foot on their neck and saying, you are conquered. So he's saying, we are persecuted. Our necks are under persecution. They have, they have um, yokes and stuff. They're being treated more like animals than people. And they're laboring day and night with no rest. All right, verse 6 says, We have given the hand to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. In other words, we have shaken hands with the Egyptians and the Assyrians. We have made agreements with them. Uh, we have stretched out, and they're supposed to give us bread to help us out. Now, they were also supposed to give a military aid, but they could not get that help from them because Nebuchadnezzar was too strong. These other nations were falling from their position, and, and Babylon was rising up in authority, rising up in power. And it says, we have reached out to these other nations just to get bread to satisfy to satisfy our hunger, we were reaching out to them, and it didn't work. Now, this next statement is kind of an interesting one. Our fathers have sinned and are not, in other words, they've died, and we have borne their iniquities. He's saying that what is happening to us is because of what happened to the previous generation. There's a small amount of truth to this, 
But his own people, the own generation that he's living in, did not turn to God either. Now, you could make the case that they weren't trained up, you know, they weren't trained up to follow God and therefore they had an excuse. But Jeremiah has been preaching to them all along, turn to God, repent, 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 and they've been rejecting it. But this is the cry oftentimes from people. I didn't know any better. Nobody taught me. And there is a small amount of truth to that. But then like in the Bible too, in other places it said like, you won't be punished, but your ancestors will be punished, or your children will bear the consequences of it. But, But they will still deserve it. They will still deserve it because God also says that the children will not be punished for the sins of their parents, but they will be punished for their own sins. And it's been said, and I agree that, you know, like for America, we're one generation away from Christianity dying in America. If Christian parents do not teach their kids to follow God, if Christians do not go out and share the gospel with people, it is a possibility that we will lose Christianity in America. And we are. We've given up the schools. The schools teach atheism. They teach humanism. They teach evolution. They do not teach anything about God at all. And the sad thing is, and people get amazed, I don't want them to be teaching religion in school anymore because it won't be Christianity that they teach. I don't want them to bring prayer back into school because it won't be Christian prayers that they bring back. It'll be Muslim and Hindu prayers and prayers to every other deity except for God because that is what Satan would want out of this. So I don't want to see us bring prayer back to school. I would just as soon see churches start church schools and and bring the kids back into the church environment instead of into the world's environment. And that is what I think that should be happening out there uh, so that we can train kids up on a day-to-day basis to follow God and get away from these government, government schools that are going to teach them everything but God. Homeschool or a church school. Something that gets them out of the government system. Because the government is teaching religion anyway. It teaches humanism at best and atheism, which atheists will tell you they're not a religion, but they are a religion. They're a religion of no God. And humanism is all about anything that man is God. So they're all teaching religion. And, you know, I get a lot of people angry at me, but you cannot teach without your beliefs being taught because they will always be taught no matter how pure you think you are just the very questions you ask of your students have a bend in them you know that says this is what I believe and your question is framed amongst that and so there's always you cannot teach without having your beliefs coming out into it and this is what's happening in our schools. They're run by an atheist, ungodly government trying to get out all religious views, but in doing so, that is teaching religion. And so they're, they are being taught that there is no God. They're being taught that there is no power in God. And that is a very sad thing for them to be taught. Then in verse 8, it says, Servants have ruled over us, and there is none that deliver us out of their hand. In Proverbs, we're told that the worst thing that can happen is for the servant to have rule <laughs> over the, the master. And this is what Jeremiah is saying. Those that were our servants are now ruling over us. And historically, when there's been revolts of slaves and servants and the, 
and the lower class against the, the monarchs and everything. They brutalize the current ones and become just as bad themselves when they take over. They forget what it was like to be in the control and under the ha hand of somebody else. And after they totally destroy the, the, you know, the upper class, they just take and become the same thing. Um, verse 9 says, we got our bread from, from the peril of our lives because of the sold, sword of the wilderness. And this means to get their food was dangerous. Now remember, they're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been besieged for years. They're hungry. The handful of people who actually sneak out are either going to be killed by the army surrounding them or because of the sword of the wilderness. And this is a um, term that they used that was indicating the Bedouin marauders, the ones that would go around and steal, and steal from them. If they caught them out of the city, the wandering Bedouins would go and attack them and take whatever they found. So they're going, we're, we're in big trouble. We get out of the city, we're in trouble from the Bedouins. If we stay in the city, we're going to starve to death. And it says, at some point, they, they took the dangers. We do not quite know what it's like to be in so much hunger that we're willing to risk anything. And this is what he's saying. We're, we're ready to risk. We're putting our life at peril to go get food. And if the, if the army doesn't get us, the Bedouins will get us. And if they don't get us, well, we have to get back through the army to get back into the town to feed, you know, feed our family. And he is very interested in what was going on with all of this stuff. So much trial just to get food. Just to get food was a big deal to them. Verse 10, and I'll read from 10 to the end of the chapter. Our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. They ravished the women of Zion, the maids of the cities of Judah. Princes are hung by their hand. The faces of the elders are not honored. They took the young men to grind. The children fell under the wood. The elders have ceased from the gate. The young men from their music. The joy of our heart is ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. The crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that, have, that we have sinned. For this our heart is faint, for these things our eyes are dim. Because of the mountain of Zion, which was desolate, the foxes walk upon it. You, O Lord, remain forever, your throne from generation to generation. Wherefore do you forget us forever and forsake us so, for so long? Turn you, turn you us unto you, O Lord, that we, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. But you have utterly rejected us. You are very angry toward against us. This is his last lament in the book. And so he first starts out, our skin was black like an oven because of the terrible famine. This is a very interesting statement because it's, instead of black, it should be that their skin is warm and tender. I almost get a picture of a sunburn. They've been out, you know, they've been stuck out in the sun and their skin is uh, sore to the touch and is starting to turn red. And so if it gets bad enough, you, it gets even darker. But he goes, and it's all because of the famine. Why? They're out of the outdoors trying to find whatever food they can get. They're being exposed to the sun. They're being baked. 
they ravished the women in Zion and the maids in the cities of Judah. This word for ravage literally means to humiliate and to mistreat and to inflict pain. We will leave it at that. It would be everything awful that you can think of being done to the women by the soldiers <laughs> that are conquering this town. Uh, things that, you know, that happen to women when they're being brutalized. And this is what he's talking about. Their women have been totally, 100% mistreated. And this is one of the things that God is going to get after them about is bad enough to deal with the men that we were fighting, but now he's, they're going after the ones that are considered innocent, the ones that aren't in battle, the ones that are defenseless. And this would include all the different things, rape and everything else that would go into this, is what he's complaining about would be included in this word ravished. The princes are hung up by their hands. So they're being tied up and being pulled up by their hands. Yeah. Now, again, princes, that's not something that was done to them in most cases. You know, they, they were a life of ease. They, they did not have things like that. The faces, the elders are not honored. The old are not honored. They're not given respect. We're seeing that in our country right now. The old people that have answers are not being respected at all. They're being made fun of. They're being, being attacked. They're being persecuted. And this is his statement. Again, we're seeing everything that's going on today has happened. We're seeing women being, being mutilated and, and abused. We're seeing elders being, being rejected and not, not uh, honored. He goes, they took the young man to grind. What this means is those big grinding wheels that you see in movies and stuff, and they would usually have a donkey walking around in a circle. They were taking the young men and putting them where the animal belongs and saying, work this wheel. Just keep walking around in circles and work this wheel. You know, instead of using the animals to do it. <laughs> and it says, the children fell under the wood. What this means is they were piling big bundles of wood on the children and they would fall down while they were walking and, walking and packing it around. So verse 13 says that these people are being treated like animals. The young men are doing the animals' work, walking around the, in the grinding. The children, children have these big loads put on them to be carrying around and falling under the, wood, under the load of wood that they had put on them. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar made them slaves and moved them to other parts of the nation, but they were basically slaves, and they were being mistreated, and they have been conquered. The, the children are being forced to do manual labor and putting these big loads on them, and when they're falling down, they're being covered by the bundle of wood that's, that they're carrying. The elders have ceased from the gate. So this one term is... If you remember what we've seen at earlier times, the elders would sit at the gate and they would make judgments and, and make decisions. Uh, if you remember the story of Ruth and Boaz in the book of Ruth, Boaz went to the gate to meet the elders to make his claim for, for Ruth to buy her back and talk to the, the, first one, the, the first one that had the right to and says, okay, you know, uh, Emelech's land is uh, available and he goes I want it well if you do that you're going to have to marry Ruth I don't want to do that and he goes well speak in front of these elders and deny you know give up your right and I'm willing to do it so they went to the gate that's where the old people would sit and they would make decisions and they would make the rules and he says the elders the ones that are supposed to sit and show their wisdom have ceased sitting in the gate 
We have no decision makers, he was saying. And this is the type of thing we're seeing in our country. We're seeing more and more decision making leave the people. You know, we were created as we the people and more and more power is being given to the government and without any hope that the people will say anything about it. And we're, I'm hoping for a great revival. I really do want to see a great revival, but I'm not sure it's gonna happen. It says the young men have, uh, have ceased their music, no more enjoyment. They used to sing songs of praise and happiness and joy. Now their songs are mourning and sorrow, if they even sing. And so they're not doing that. It says the crown, uh, the joy of our heart is ceased. Our dances have turned into mourning. The crown has fallen. There is no government anymore. There is no, basically he's saying there is no nation anymore. And I'm afraid that we are headed that direction, that there may not be a nation of America much longer than the direction we're going. Because we're seeing the same type of things. And it says all of their dance is turned into mourning. They're not, there's no joy anywhere in Israel because of where they're at. They're just totally in a miserable position. Nobody is going in. There's no government. The crown has fallen, uh, which is what verse 16 says. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. Jeremiah is trying to remind the people, all of this is because of your sin. And this is the thing I keep saying so frequently. Every action, especially sin, has a consequence. Uh, many of the classes at the prison have a wonderful sign, and I like it. You have the freedom to choose, but you, do not, but you are not free of the consequences. You know, we can choose what we want to do, but we don't get to pick the consequences for that action. And here's Jeremiah reminding them, you sinned, here's the consequences. You sinned and God has brought judgment. And not only you, but your fathers and your grandfathers and your great-grandfathers, all these people have sinned and the judgment of God has fallen upon us, the consequences. And we have to really understand our nation has sinned. As a, as a nation. Not every single person in the nation, but the nation is headed in the wrong direction and there's going to be consequences for it. Now, if we have a revival, we can push those consequences off a few by a generation or two, but the consequence for sin will fall. And this is what he's saying. And then in verse 17, it says, for this the fact that we've sinned, our heart is faint, and these things our eyes, and for these things our eyes are dim. Our heart, the seat of our emotions, is faint. He is saying we're overwhelmed. <laughs> we have no strength left. And our eyes are seeing the darkness. And this is the thing that really I look around and I see how dark our world is becoming, how dark our nation is becoming. And it's very fearful on one side. If God wasn't in charge, I'd be terrified. God is in charge, and I know that no matter what happens, he's in charge. But I look around and say, God, how much longer? Either judge us and get it over with or bring, bring in a revival. One or the other, God, let's not have it linger out. 
And you know, that's my prayer. I don't want it to see it linger out. I don't want my grandchildren to pay for the hardships of what's going to happen, even though they will. And this is what they're saying. The children, their parents have died, and now their children are suffering as well because of the parent's sin and the child's sin because they have not followed God. It says, because of the mountain of Zion, which is desolate, the foxes walk upon it. Mountain of Zion, Jerusalem. He says it's desolate. It's been destroyed. It is so far down that foxes are dwelling in the city. Now, this is kind of an interesting. We live in chloride, and that wild animals are always in chloride. But, you know, if you live in the city, you very rarely see anything wild outside of rats. <laughs> you know, you don't see fox and mountain lions and, and all that kind of stuff. And even in Kingman, we don't see very many wild animals outside of coyotes. <laughs> You know, where I live, we're on the outskirts, so we might see something. But the further in you get, you don't see much. And if you're in Phoenix, you know, you're not going to, if you're in the middle of Phoenix, you're not going to see a wild bear or, or a mountain lion running around. You know, unless they escape from the zoo. <laughs> uh, you know, it would be very rare to see anything like that. And this is what he's saying. The city has been desolated and the foxes have overwhelmed the city. You know, the wild animals have come in and and walk upon the city. Verse 19 says, You, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. He's finally coming back to remembering that God, you're forever. You don't end. This is our hope. When we get into this state, we're recognizing God, you are in charge. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is always sovereign, no matter what it looks like to us. He is in charge. No matter what he lets happen to us, he's in charge, and he has a plan. And then, but he goes right back into, wherefore do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long? Jeremiah was hoping that this judgment was going to be quick. Now, he's kind of forgetting that the prophecies have said that they were going into captivity for 80 years. Uh, You know, it's already been forecast, and he should know it. But he's in the midst of the middle of the trial. How many times do we forget God a little bit when we're, when we're so focused on the trial? And this is why we have to keep our focus on God. Keep looking to him because otherwise we forget his promises. And it is easy because we are human beings. We forget God's promises when everything's going bad, if we're not careful. And that's when we need to be remembering them. You know, uh, we need to remember that all that God says for all things work together for good for those who are called, love God and called according to his purpose. We need to remember that he is sovereign, that he has a plan, that he is a good God, that every perfect and good gift comes from the Father above. Which, you know, and we need to remember these things even when it looks like nothing good is happening because God has a plan. And this is when we remember that this isn't even our home. If God takes everything away from us on earth, it's not our home. Our home is in heaven where we won't lose anything. And when we get there, we'll be so happy to see our home that we'll forget all about everything that happened on this world and go, God, I'm home. <laughs> it was a miserable trip. Everything went wrong. The, the, the planes were delayed. The, my baggage was sent to another, another place. Uh, I had no change of clothes. And... <laughs> And people were hurting me. 
but now I am home. Yeah. And I'm kind of being tongue in cheek, but sometimes that's exactly what it's like. This is just a vacation away from home. A pit stop, you know, and, and maybe bad things are happening. Our luggage went to went to another place, and we're we don't have any changes of clothes. You know, our bank shut down while we were gone. We don't have any, you know, our finances disappeared. And God says, "Well, when you get home, everything will be okay, but you're not home yet." And we need to be able to recognize we're not home yet. And it says, "You forgot us." and forsook us for so long. And sometimes we forget every bit of this life is a short period of time as far as God's concerned. It seems long to us, but it really is short to God. And then he starts the prayer, turn us unto you, O God, that we, and we shall be turned, renew our days as of the old. He's saying, God, you turn us. You turn us about. The only problem with this prayer is our free will. God won't make us turn to him. He'll give us every opportunity to turn to him. He'll give us every opportunity to repent. But he will not make us turn to him. But when we do return, he will renew. He will make new our life. He says, but you have utterly rejected us. You are very wroth or angry toward us. Because God, you're so unhappy with us that you have rejected us. God has a point where his grace and mercy seems to, re- to cease and judgment falls. Where that is, is different with every nation over the years. Where will God finally say enough is enough for America? I don't know. It seems that he's already said it for Europe. Europe is falling flat on its face as it's turned away from God. We're looking at judgment falling. How much longer will it be before God says, enough, it's time for judgment. And Europe hasn't fallen completely, but they are turning away from God so rapidly that God is going to bring judgment there as well. That's in Europe. Europe. And America is turning fast away from God. And judgment will fall. And when it falls, there will be no hope unless your hope is in God. But when we look out there, it'll be so easy to be in despair if our hope isn't following God. And this is where Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a prophet. And yet he's vacillating. Jeremiah is looking at Jerusalem having fallen the people going into captivity, everything they own, the entire nation is gone, the temple has been destroyed. And he's going, God, where are you? And he's the prophet. And he knows better. And yet he is so sad. And it's easy for us as Christians sometimes to say, God, where are you? Even though we know better and we know that he's there. So the challenge for us is to remember God is in charge. Don't let yourself forget that attitude that God is in charge and he has his people in his hands and does not let anything happen to us that he does not have a plan for. And this is what Jeremiah is suffering with and he's vacillated all through the book. We've seen sometimes when he's talking about you know trusting God and there's times when he's just looking at what's going on and saying God I just don't understand. And you know what? God understands when we get there. 
He understands when we are walking by sight because we forget to walk by the Spirit and walk by faith. He understands. He's probably not happy with it, but he understands we are flesh. He understands that we're going to walk by sight even when we're supposed to walk by faith. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Help us to keep our mind focused on you and our mind seeking you in all that we do. Help us to be ready to trust you when everything seems to be going wrong. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.